This episode of Hub Dialogues is a special presentation with Hub advertiser Pathways Alliance. The goal of each episode in this podcast series is to provide Hub listeners with the latest insights and analysis by industry experts and leaders who are acting on Pathways' ambitious call to decarbonize Canada's oil sands production and reach net zero emissions from operations by 2050. For more information on Pathways, visit pathwaysalliance.ca. On today's program, we're going to talk about the role of women in the energy sector. What are the challenges that uh, women face? What do they reveal about the state of the industry today? And more importantly, what are the opportunities that increased female participation in the industry can bring about for all kinds of big goals, including decarbonization. To do all of this, we are joined by Katie Smith Parent. She is the Executive Director of Young Women in Energy, YWE, and Co-Founder and Board Director of Access Connects, both organizations dedicated to championing the women who are contributing to the renewal, the development, the expansion, the innovation in Canada's energy sector. The next voice you'll hear is mine, Rudyard Griffiths, in conversation with Katie Smith-Parent. Enjoy this Hub Dialogue. Katie, welcome to the Hub Dialogues. Great. Happy to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. I'm looking forward to this conversation today. We've been talking with a variety of different important voices in Canada's energy sector about pathways and its ambitious net zero goal in terms of emissions from operations by 2050. So to get the perspective of women in the industry, what are the challenges and opportunities that you're facing as a group now? And how are women playing into this effort, this broader effort across the energy sector to address some of the real challenges of climate vis-a-vis these different kind of mitigation strategies, including what Pathways is pursuing. So let's start with basics here, Katie. How would you characterize the current state of play of women in Canada's energy sector? How full or how empty is the cup right now when it comes to women's participation in all aspects of Canada's energy production? Honestly, it's been a bit slow. Obviously, historically, this is a very male-dominant industry. But right now, we'd say about 30% are women. um, And that's just participation in Canada's oil and gas sector. So those roles are held by women. But really, it's only 17% of executives are women. And 27% of entry-level jobs are held by women. So, you know, we're still not at, we don't reflect the communities and the you know, regions that we operate in, but, you know, it, it is slowly but surely progressing forward. So, so Katie, what would you say are the, the costs to the industry right now for not having gender parity and maybe not only at a leadership level, i.e. in boardrooms and on the part of CEOs, but, you know, within the, the general rank and file technical and service workers who are essential to the success of this industry and it's ambitions to decarbonize? I think it's about ensuring that the best and the brightest are at the table, contributing to those solutions that solve that kind of massive challenge that the industry is facing and in all different roles. So whether that's, you know, leadership roles are typically more uh, technical and field or operational 
roles, but you know, you need leaders in marketing and HR and public relations and all the other constructs within the industry. But I think it's about just having more women or just diverse perspectives at the table. So that's not just related to, you know, gender, that's, you know, more people of color, more black folks, more LGBTQ2A plus. It's really just expanding the diversity of the workforce. And I think what we're finding in energy as well is this idea of sort of a labor shortage that we're really coming across, especially when you think of pathways and they have this massive 400 kilometer carbon trunk line they're trying to build. And, you know, how do you get the right people to actually be the one to execute the work? So, you know, 50% of Canada's population is female. So, you know, you don't want to leave anyone behind because we need everyone at the table. Yeah, I think that's a great argument. You know, these things are not about quotas. I think they're really about human potential. And if Mm -hmm. you're an industry or if you have a big challenge, you want to maximize human potential around your objectives and your goals and to limit yourself in terms of the potential group that you can pull into your enterprises, into your shared project, just seems like a kind of inefficient place to start from. Exactly. What do you see, Katie, as the advantages to the industry in having more of an ability to reflect back to the communities that it's working in and with the diversity and reality of those communities? What kind of potential opportunities does that create? I think there's so many opportunities, especially when you think of just public opinion. Obviously, energy is a hot topic, specifically in Canada, but globally, especially as we all are on this race to net zero. But just understanding that it's it's an actual way more diverse industry than it previously was. We used to joke that it's not your grandpa's energy industry anymore. It's really this new energy system where all different types of people can participate and all that. So there's just a lot, a lot to go on there. Yeah. So when you think of a typical kind of community that's working, you know, with and for the energy sector, we're seeing a lot of immigration in Canada, record levels of newcomers arriving in the country. I assume that that diversity is happening on the ground. And what I'm hearing from you, Katie, is is a kind of wish, a desire, maybe an, an ambition for the industry to to catch up, to not get behind how quickly things are are changing in the ground so that when there are big projects like the types the Pathways is considering, those communities see themselves reflected in the individuals, both the leadership group, but also as we've talked about, you know, the people on the ground who are actually going to do the work, they're going to put these ambitious big projects together. For sure. And I think going back to your comment about human potential, you know, when we look to leadership, we have this co- this kind of concept called if you if you see it, you can be it. And so I think if people are starting, say, on more of the entry level roles, but they look at the executive table and it doesn't look at all like them, I think that they're just they're more likely to maybe choose a different industry to put that great potential into. So it's sort of a recruitment tool, but it's also a retention tool and an advancement tool to really ensure that the leadership tables and the companies that are moving these massive energy projects along reflect the communities that they're in. What are some of the barriers that you've identified in your work, especially that kind of confront women in terms of their ability to advance within the industry? I think there's there's a few, you know, there's the ones that we typically talk about, you know, the wage gap, 
Um, I'm finding that even since 2009, women's salaries in the Canadian energy sector has increased 30%. So, you know, we're, we're making some significant pro- progress there. But I'm finding the one that is harder to change is really the hearts and minds. It's the kind of enduring bias about, you know, what women's roles are, especially in a context that this is really an industry that was built without women in mind. It just wasn't back in the day. So I think there's still some of that societal expectations that women, even just women who are going to work, but then that women are supposed to also work and take on the majority of the household labor at home as well. But, you know, there's some uh, barriers, including anything from lack of access to job opportunities. You know, those informal networking were, were known as an industry that typically really likes, you know, golf, hockey and and all of the above. So, you know, just expanding what that looks like and what those business development opportunities are. Again, it's kind of there's some things that I think maybe women are typically looked on that they would value things like flexible work and, you know, childcare and all that. But I think when we really look at it, it's actually helpful for everyone. It's helpful for working fathers. It's helpful for, you know, just parents of anyone or just flexible work if people have other, you know, passions in their life. So there's a lot, a lot that we can do. But I think the barriers really are, it hasn't been done yet. So like we we did a solve-a-thon a couple of years ago, which is essentially like a hackathon, but for qualitative data. And one of the things we found is that there's no really great example that everyone can look to that's a best practice. Everyone's all on that journey right now. So, you know, we can pick pieces here and there from different companies that are doing different parts really well, but we don't have this like shining example of what a great diverse, you know, energy company looks like. So it's all about us actually having to build that now. Right. Exciting stuff. When you think of misperceptions of the energy sector and the energy energy industry in Canada, how much do you think of that comes about simply through the reality that there are these kind of imbalances that the industry is working on? As you say, they're making substantive progress. But how much of that misperception is simply Often that, as you say, maybe women have a sense that this this is a male-dominated industry. It's not part of their, let's say, even what they're thinking about in terms of careers, if they're coming out of STEM programs or university degrees that potentially could lead to a career in the energy industry, it's not even on their radar. Is that a piece of the puzzle, part of the problem that we need to solve? Absolutely. I think there's a few pieces there. But like when I think of the misconceptions of the energy industry and, you know, Pathways is a great example of this is that people think that energy companies, especially those who are mostly fossil fuel related, that they're not doing anything to combat climate change. But, you know, like we're one of the largest investors in clean technology in Canada. You know, we've skyrocketed, especially if I'm specifically thinking about Alberta, you know, we beat our to get off coal by seven years. We beat that coal. You know, we're, our methane reductions by 45% by 2025, you know, we're going to beat that two years early. So I think there's some misconceptions there about where the energy industry is going. I think the other thing that I think of is the fact that people think that, you know, some of those numbers that I mentioned earlier, not, not necessarily that they don't lie, but there are some really powerful women that are behind a lot of those statistics. So again, if I think of pathways and you know, their steering committee is six senior, senior executives. And three of those are some really incredible female executives from those, some of Canada's largest energy companies. So I think that's the misconception that, you know, that women aren't in those places, but they are. But the other side of that is we need to almost, I don't want to necessarily say tell the same story, but you got to hear it from a different voice. You know, we've heard it from the CEOs who have been CEOs for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. 
it's about hearing from the younger generation, the women, the indigenous people, you know, the LGBTQ2A plus people. It's, it's how do you get, how do you hear from their perspective what the energy industry looks like? And, you know, from not just sitting at the C-suite. So I think there's a bit of misconception, but also there's so much opportunity there to tell the stories that are within energy, you know, so that everyone can be part of this kind of energy story. And what would you say if we had those groups together with us now, the Indigenous community, the LGBTQ plus women, what would be the story that those groups working in the energy sector would want to share with Canadians? Now, I realize there's going to be a lot of diversity and a range of views and perspectives, but are there some kind of commonalities amongst those groups in terms of their views? Because their views are kind of interesting because generally we don't assume that those communities have views on energy, which in some ways itself is kind of pejorative and a bit discriminating, right? We don't often turn mm-hmm. to women or our, our, our First Nations friends or the LGBTQ plus and say, hey, what do you think about energy in Canada? Absolutely. I think what I, I, I'm hoping I'm not too optimistic on this, but I think the underlying word is going to be that there's progress. You know, we know that certain things in a historically male dominant industry, it could be anything like mining, it could be energy, anything. You know, it's going to be a bit slow, but I think that there is progress. Like even what I've seen, like I've only been in my career like 10 to 15 years, but you know, I've seen ex- extensive progress. So I look at what progress we've done on carbon emissions. I look at progress that we've done on diversity and inclusion. And so I would hope even the the, the progress we've done to in- better engage Indigenous people as owners. And we look to all the Indigenous groups that are hoping to buy the TMX. Like we have a lot of progress that's happening right now. And I think that's where a lot of optimism comes, especially from the younger generation is that you know, we've set some targets, we've we've put in some plans, but now we're actually doing the work and like making that progress happen, whether it's DEI or decarbonization or digitization or any of that. You're one click away from getting access to all the Hub's best analysis and insights. Visit our website, www.thehub.ca now and sign up for our weekly email news digest. Every Saturday morning, we'll send to your inbox the cutting-edge thinking and analysis of our smartest contributors on the week that was. Dive into the big issues and ideas moving the public conversation, courtesy of The Hub. Again, you can grab that exclusive email newsletter right now, free of charge, at www.thehub.ca. Now back to our program. In your career, are there some moments, some milestones where you realize that someone kind of helped you in a way that was maybe different from how the industry traditionally has tried to advance people or advance their careers? And specifically, have there been other women that you've worked with who've kind of provided you with that leadership to to bootstrap your own progress within the industry? Oh, a ton. And I find most of like my career success has really come from my volunteering efforts. So a lot of this idea of, you know, leading young women in energy, um, I just get access to some incredibly passionate executives and other women, peers, you know, students, we get such a wide variety. So I found that a lot of my network now is so female dominant that it's all these passionate women that are challenging the status quo and, 
you know, building up their communities and everything that I've been really, really fortunate that way. One of the things that Young Women in Energy does is an awards program every year. So every year we recognize 10 women who in our quote is changing the face of energy. And so through that program, it's really we're recognizing rewarding women at that kind of pivotal part in their career where, you know, they're they've chosen what career they want to pursue within the energy industry. And, you know, they probably banged their head against the wall for a few years. And now we're really like, hey, we see you. We appreciate your contributions, you know, keep going. But it's through that program, we've now had over 90 people over the last nine years and leading Young Women Energy, I get access to all those women. And when you surround yourself with women like that, it is it is absolutely infectious about what you can do, like the passion and the diversity of even what parts, like some are so passionate about geology and some are so passionate about emissions reduction and so passionate about making supply chain more efficient. Like it's just the most interesting people. And you realize the more that you talk to them is that these people are the backbone of this industry. And this is why in my head, I'm like, oh, we're, we're going to be fine in the future because we have some pretty incredible women and others that are really going to, you know, move it forward. But on the other side, you know, I would be remiss to say that, you know, especially male mentors have been extremely important in my career. And even mentors is one thing, but sponsors. And, you know, I have a few VPs in my life who, you know, talk really positively about me when I'm not in the room. And so they've taken, you know, that that specific task on. And I like I'm so appreciative. So it's really about men and women working together. But it's that access to opportunity or access to that network of whether it's the cheerleaders that are around you that say, keep going, or it's the people that are, you know, maybe your devil's advocate. It's just, it's that kind of mentorship mosaic of all the different people that make up your career. So just to pick up on something you mentioned there, Katie, in that excellent answer, is the goal of decarbonization, lowering emissions on the part of the industry, is that something that you're seeing across your network as a priority, something that's kind of animating people, you know, driving women forward within the industry at large. Absolutely. So I think when we think about the ESG framework, you know, the E has been at the forefront for a while and a lot of women are more attracted to that sustainability side of the industry. But then we're now seeing really the resurgence or the surgence of the S and the G. So that S side, that social piece is so connected into that. So all of the Indigenous relations, reconciliation, a lot of the diversity and inclusion initiatives. So I'm finding that decarbonization and diversity are almost inextricably linked. That's really all we end up talking about. You know, you you still want to be talking about the ways in which we continue to provide energy to the world, but all of those really unique pieces of how we're going to decarbonize while increasing diversity that has, you know, that's like the only topic I feel like we talk about these days. And again, I don't want to apply to women special attributes that they have versus men, but is there something there that you think women can uniquely contribute to that effort of decarbonization? Absolutely. But I think it's, it's again, it's that diverse perspective that maybe hasn't been called on before. So maybe it's a different way of looking at it, a new way, an innovative way, something maybe more creative. Um, but I think it's also that community aspect. So, you know, you don't want to do overgeneralization, but women tend to be community builders and, you know, that kind of ripple effect where they do something and the community benefits. I think that piece is what's mostly felt is just that ability for women to contribute that more nurturing side. I hate to say that far, but it is that collaborative, 
less harsh competitive space. It's more that coopetition, I like to say, that cooperative, cooperative competition. But yeah, along that angle for sure. Yeah, no, I can I can see that. I mean, I think there's uh again a perception that a lot of the industry is focused on, you know, ROI, return on investments. These are often publicly traded companies that obviously have a responsibility to return value to shareholders. And I guess I think sometimes, you know, people think, well, how can you reconcile that with goals around decarbonization or diversity or these these things that in some ways might not always be reconciled, at least in the short term, with, you know, your profitability as as an industry. But I get a sense from you, Katie, that that the industry can walk and chew gum at the same time, that there's an ability here to, you know, continue to focus on profitability and their responsibilities to shareholders, but also seeing that these larger mandates around diversity, decarbonization, a new relationship with Canada's First Nations people, these are, in a sense, the prerequisites for longer-term success on the part of the industry and therefore ultimately feed back into that idea of how do you build a successful business, not over a few quarters, but over years and potentially decades into the future. Absolutely. A friend of mine, Kevin Krauser, talks about this is the single biggest opportunity of our time. So whether that's, you know, investing in the new energy future or diversity inclusion and all that, but I think this is the opportunity. So we had a sustainability event a couple of weeks ago and we asked that same question, you know, is this focus on ESG, specifically the S, you know, anti-returns for shareholders? But it's actually the investment community that's just as, you know, persistent in asking about all this stuff. So I think right now a lot of companies are being judged on their E, but I think in the coming years, the S and the G, you're, you're going to see a lot more reporting on it. We're going to see a lot more focus on it. So it's more of a, do you want the competitive advantage to, you know, start early and start now and get ahead of it? Or do you want to be the one that has to be swept up with any kind of government rules and regulations because you haven't you haven't gotten there yet? So I think I think when you think about it more as an opportunity rather than a challenge, I think there's certain people that can absolutely capitalize on that. And I think shareholders will understand. And when you think of the S and the G, you know, sustainability, governance, these these bigger questions, what would you want to share with the person, maybe much like myself, who has a very cursory set of insights into the energy industry. It's really just what I read in the newspapers or I see on my social feeds. You know the counter-argument. The counter-argument is that this stuff is, quote, greenwashing and it's Mm -hmm. secondary, it's tertiary to the primary activity of these companies, which is carbon extraction, right? So I think it'd be interesting for hear from you, a woman in the industry, What's the pushback to that kind of cynicism? We know it's out there, and I think it's important to address. I completely agree. So I think there's one piece of this where, you know, people think it's greenwashing because it's more of a call to investors. But if you look at these companies, the people inside and the, pe- the, comp- the employees that are working with these companies are just as adamant that this can't be greenwashing because we don't want to work for companies that are just greenwashing. We want this to be real and we want to be part of the solution. So I'm finding sometimes when people think that it's all just setting targets, I think it's actually the pressure on leadership teams is their employees want it just as bad as the investment community or the public. So I think there's really this concept of they wouldn't, you can't get away with greenwashing anymore. People are holding you to account. People are reading your sustainability reports. They are, you know, there's activist investors that are 
ready to jump if you don't make good on your promises. You don't get to just say whatever you want anymore. you got to back it up. So I think that's from a completely outsider's perspective. I think people realize that the people in the industry are just as passionate as, say, the public who might be against it. And we're just as passionate about wanting to reduce carbon emissions, but also wanting to do it profitably. We all want a great quality of life. We love the quality of life we have in Canada with some, you know, the benefit of having natural resources everywhere. But I want to do it responsibly, safely and, you know, environmentally consciously. So, yeah, I think it's just that concept that we are just as adamant about the success of this kind of decarbonization effort as everyone else. Yeah. So just to underline that, because I think this is a really important point. What you're saying is that these values are held in these companies widely. They're held not only by the C-suite, but they're held by rank and file workers. And in a sense, there's a contract now between the companies, not only investors, but their own workforce to deliver on these outcomes because you're a mission-driven culture. Absolutely. I think that's one of the really positive things often about the energy industry is it's project-driven, it's mission-driven. There are all kinds of great metrics that you can pull to understand, are you further away from your mission or are you closer to it? So what in effect you're saying is that the accountability mechanism goes well beyond government regulation, ESG rules. It's really about the social contract between the employer and the employee. And I think going back to that concept that we have a labor shortage, you know, you're going to fight for talent. And to be honest, I wouldn't work for a company that I don't feel is sustainable. So, you know, I'm focused on I want to see that they're setting targets and I want to see that they care about diversity and I want to see they care about the environment. But I want to see actual progress on that. Just saying that doesn't you're not going to win the talent game on that perspective. So. So final question, where do you think this all goes from here. If you and I were to have this conversation 15, 20 years from now, we're getting closer to 2050 to that date when these major oil sands and oil energy companies that have come together under pathways have committed to decarbonize their operations. What kind of conversation do you think we'll have? How do you think the energy sector, the energy industry will look different in 20 or 30 years? It's going to be completely different, better. It's Funny, we had we asked this question a couple of weeks ago too, and it's like I just want us to be proud of where we came from. So in in you know twenty years, and it's say even a couple of years out, it's like twenty forty five. I want us to know that you know government, industry, academia, we all came along. You know, we trained the right workers, we invested in the right projects, we were successful in a lot of our decarbonization initiatives. I think the energy industry will be much more of a mix. You know, I'd love to see carbon capture absolutely boom. I think that will be amazing. I'd love to see nuclear um, in the oil sands would be incredible. You know, there's certain things on that piece, but then also I'd love to see more women in C-suite positions. So I want to see more like the steering co at Pathways and having 50% women. I'd love to see more than 30% on a lot of these executive teams and boards, but you're going to actually find that people won't have to look as hard for women because they're going to be at that level where they're ready to take on, they're already qualified, but you're going to find them because they're going to be already present in the industry. So we really hope that a lot of the women that I'm talking to now in kind of our networks, that in 20 years, they will be the future executives alongside some incredible male allies and everybody, but they'll all be working towards this you know, net zero goal. And I think we'll be, you know, five years out from our net zero goal and we'll be, maybe we'll even beat it. Who knows? 
Hey, hey. Well, listening to you today, Katie, I'm confident that the participation of women in this industry can only make it better. And as you say, there has been a lot of progress made, more to come. But I want to salute you for your work on expanding all of our horizons about the role, the contribution of women to the energy sector, what they're doing right now, but also how they're contributing to these ambitious goals going forward. So thank you so much for coming on the Hub Dialogues today. Oh, thanks so much. This episode of Hub Dialogues was a paid promotional partnership with Pathways Alliance. For more information about Pathways and their plans to decarbonize Canada's oil sands production to reach net zero emissions from operations by 2050, visit pathwaysalliance.ca. Are you a leading industry group with an important public policy message? If so, be sure to check out the Hub's new digital marketing platform. You can do that right now at www.thehub.ca forward slash marketing.